I was just going to say how relaxing it's been listening to Lynn's dog snoring. It's been a lovely, <laughs> lovely sensation. Oh my god! <laughs> it's really soothing. <laughs> Hello, and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab from each of our respective homes. I am your host, Scott Eltrison, and this episode was recorded on Wednesday, May 6th, 2020. This week, we have Christina with me. So excited to have you here. Christina, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you. Like I said, you know, we've uh, missed you on the podcast, and we're, we're working you into a uh, consistent basis. So um, I hope you're as excited as I am. If you're wondering where Adam is, uh, you'll be hearing from him in the second half of the show uh, with a conversation with Lin Liu, UM's Chief Strategy Officer from our China office, as well as Matt Maroney, uh, APAC's Chief Strategy Officer from Down Under, uh, for a conversation about how their markets uh, are currently opening back up and what that means for brands, marketers, and what we kind of can expect uh, to happen here in the, ne- in the next few months. So with that out of the way, Christina... Are you ready to dive into this week's news? I sure am. First up, Reddit has launched a new feature called Start Chatting, uh, which are chat rooms for their subreddits. Uh, and it allows up to seven participants at a time in a single chat room per subreddit. It's kind of interesting to think about. Chat rooms are very old school uh, compared to what we have today. Uh, but you know, we look at Reddit, we see new social apps like Clubhouse uh, that are you know very audio based. To me, we're starting to see a a new form of communication develop um, online. You know, brands and companies are starting to think about what in the new ways can we connect people and have conversation and kind of what defines potentially this like maybe social 3.0. Yeah, Scott, I think that's super interesting. And I think the way people are connecting now we're seeing some of the some innovations in social uh like this start chatting feature starting to pop up that i think could change communication uh for the long term in news that we most likely saw coming uh jake crew has filed for bankruptcy protection the pandemic continues to put a damper on retail i think we're seeing other retailers across the board on the verge of bankruptcy like neiman marcus like J.C. Penney. And I think what this reflects is a broader theme that we're seeing that a lot of these retailers were over leveraged to begin with coming into the crisis. We saw data from McKinsey that said 30% of retailers pre-crisis had were going to have trouble paying debt um, in the coming years. And I think what COVID is doing is accelerating that and exacerbating that for many retailers you didn't have a strong model um, and balance sheet coming into this, uh, this time makes it very tough to dig yourself out of that hole. And I think uh, what J. Crew is doing or what's going on with J. Crew now is reflective of that. Yeah. I'm I'm I am personally super concerned uh, considering my entire wardrobe is from J. Crew. So I'm not quite sure where I'm going to get my shirts or my pants anymore. Well, Scott. The the good news for you and your shirts is that there are a number of online businesses that also sell button-down shirts and t-shirts, namely many of them run 
most likely on the Shopify platform. They just released earnings. Their quarterly revenue is up 47% year over year. They did $17.4 billion gross merchandise volume. So I am sure you can find an online retailer to fulfill your shirt pick. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere out there. <laughs> and I think what we'll start to see is up until the pandemic, for the most part, uh, e-commerce worked in service of physical retail. I think what we're seeing during this pandemic is a flip of that equation. So physical retail working in service of e-commerce. Um, I think that manifests itself in things like uh, curbside pickup, for example, where you can shop online, but pick up in store. I think physical retail could start to serve as distribution points for um, same day delivery or things like at quick at home, try on courier services, things like that. I do. I have seen a number of emails from a number of retailers, Nordstrom included, that talk about all of the safety measures. And I think when you think about a shopping experience, the thought of having to navigate plastic barriers to buy a Hermes purse is a weird concept. And so I think the retail format will need to change um, to support that and still deliver um, a nice experience. I was just thinking for a second, I mean, we, we talked about, uh, I guess two weeks ago, like death in the middle, you know, like when it comes to retail and how this, I mean, just pushes it to the absolute extreme, right? Well, on, on like the luxury end, you know, it could be like appointment based viewing like one person in a store at a time. And then there really is no other end of, of the spectrum, right? It's just all convenience at home, try on, you know, can I get my product to you in the fastest way possible? So that could be this like, you know, a very stark contrast of like, there really is no, you know, middle or middle, middle. It's just the two uh, uh, outliers uh, and, and the extreme. So um, a lot of things to kind of be thinking about as we continue to uh, work through our, our current situation. Next up in the news, perhaps a very prevalent sign of the times is masks are becoming fashion. Be safe, but make it fashion. I think we're seeing a lot of research, a lot of articles coming out this week that are signaling that the situation that we find ourselves in is starting to normalize the use of masks. I know there's, um, you know, variations between countries of needing to wear masks versus not. I think what it's reflecting is Societally, there's a lot of pressure. If you're on the streets in New York and you're not wearing a mask, you're going to get a lot of bad looks. And I think that in addition to the health risks that um, come with not wearing a mask coming into the forefront of just cultural consciousness. And I think brands are starting to catch up. We saw a ton of brands shift production lines over to manufacture masks for healthcare workers. I think part of that supply chain and part of what's sticking around is Consumers are going to have to wear masks for the foreseeable future, most likely. They're turning into the new sunglasses. I read an article from Vogue yesterday that was the top eight brands that were making masks that actually looked nice. There were brands like Rag and Bone, Madewell, Page, Jonathan Simkai making masks. Um, I am on the wait list for two out of four of those that I mentioned. But I think if you think about how this changes, not just the way we look, it also changes categories adjacent to our face. So things like lipstick and makeup. Obviously, if you're covering those parts of your face, you might not need lipstick or makeup, or there might be some innovation around mask-proof makeup and things like that. Yeah, again, to your point, I think it's just a a 
a signal of the times of uh, kind of how people are coming to terms with the new situation that we're in and kind of defining this this new nor- this new normal going uh, forward. And as we look again to see how COVID-19 continues to be a trend accelerator, we have an announcement from Amazon. Uh, they've announced Crucible, which is a free-to-play multiplayer game launching on May 20th. So for those that don't know, this is actually one of the first big budget titles from Amazon's game studios. Uh, it's been in the works for a, a long time now, about four or well, six years, actually, they announced the project back in 2014. Um, and I am personally super excited about it as it combines a lot of different competitive modes that we've seen across CSGO uh, and Overwatch, um, League of Legends. So it's really looking to see what a new game format could be uh, similar to what Valorant is doing. And for all of our gamers out there, there's really interesting potentials between Twitch and Amazon, knowing that Amazon is the actual owners of Twitch. So like, they could do something pretty interesting from either like a marketing standpoint or integration standpoint uh, to kind of bring a new angle of viewership or engagement to this game. So super excited to see how that develops in these coming weeks. With that, uh, I, I am super excited to hand off the the mic to Adam for his conversation with Lynn Liu and Matt Maroney. So Adam, take it away. Great. Thanks, Scott. Joining me today on uh, Floor 9, we have Lin Liu, the Chief Strategy Officer for UM in China, and Matt Maroney, the Chief Strategy Officer for APAC. Uh, Lynn and Matt, welcome to Floor 9. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. So to start off, uh, can you give our listeners a quick summary of where uh, China and Australia are in terms of recovery? What's the current status uh, uh, in terms of stay at home and and what businesses can be open? Uh, we are definitely on the way back to normal. Um, actually, just as we spoke, I think the uh, emergency response level has been lowered nationwide in terms of um, work going back to normal. I mean, it, it depends on who you're talking to. If you talk, if you look at uh, official uh, statistics, they say like almost every business is back to normal. But if you look at economist analysis, they would say some, somewhere around 60%. I think the reality is somewhere kind of in the middle. I think all the service businesses are uh, back in operation. For some factories, there's some disruptions because uh, there's like a disruption in the global supply chain. So there have been kind of forced holidays, whatnot, whatnot, but it's not because of the lack of uh, will to return to normal. Hmm. Interesting. Matt, how are things in Australia? You guys are just uh, getting rolling, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's kind of good timing for the conversation because we've got a cabinet meeting nationally here tomorrow morning. Uh, the Prime Minister's given a bit of a hint ahead of time that some of the restrictions might be relaxed. Um, so we've been operating under a bunch of physical distancing restrictions, travel and so on. Weirdly, a lot of the schools have been open, but um, I think there's a possibility of a significant shift tomorrow. Um, the, the question is, I suppose, whether that shift is well-timed. Um, and it is worth noting that a lot of the restrictions here have been um, less restrictive than perhaps they have been in other places. Yeah, yeah. And I think the timing is, is sort of the question on everyone's mind right now. How is the overall mood? Are, are people optimistic? Are they nervous? Is that something you're seeing on a, on a sort of country level or is it different city by city? Well, um, rationally, um, I think everyone's very conscious how lucky they are. We live in a kind of global news environment and it's quite easy to make comparisons between what's going on here and um, the high stakes elsewhere. Um, I saw yesterday from BCG that 40% of Australians are worried about their personal finances, and that contrasts with 50 to 
in the northern hemisphere. So um, I think we're, we're we're pretty lucky, and the restrictions have been fairly mild. So people understand that. I think outside of that, beyond the rational, um, subjectively, um, it sucks for a lot of people. I think they're entering that <laughs> point where it's it's got really weird. <laughs> it's kind of the, the weird stage. <laughs> Heard it called the third quarter phenomenon where everyone kind of loses their marbles slightly. Everybody starts reading the runes and trying to overinterpret any positive things. Um, so subjectively weird, overall pretty good. Yeah, I, I think that uh, we in New York have started hitting that point uh, as well. <laughs> Lynn, how are, what's the mood in China? How are things uh, where you are? Okay, I, I think there's a sense of relief, but people are still uh, very cautious. Um, I think we know that we got the situation um, under control because we took it very seriously. Uh, but you know, in China, we have experienced SARS quite a few years back. So we know yeah. how bad it could be. I think there's also a uh, sense that uh, there's nothing like that before, uh, ever before. Mm-hmm. Although we feel like China did a really good job mm-hmm. in terms of containing the virus, um, there has been, especially among the medical professionals, there is a concern about like, when things, what will happen when we reopen the border? Because uh, in China, we had a very, very different strategy. We basically locked down the virus inside Wuhan. So most of us actually experienced it secondhand um, in other cities. You know, it's not like we didn't have any cases in Shanghai. But uh, I would say these are kind of a little bit removed. Like I know there's one incident like half a kilometer from me, but uh, we actually don't really know any like personal, uh, anyone in our uh, so-called friends who actually contracted it. Uh, but um, there has been concern that uh, uh, we actually don't have any immune, uh, herd, community, herd immunity. Um, so once the border reopens, we might actually be at greater risk. So there's definitely some of that. But I think overall, people are still worried. Uh, we, you know, If we travel, we might put ourselves at greater risk. Or we might actually get a red health code, you know, tracing code. Uh, and also the the, the airlines and, and travel industries have been like promoting like crazy. So overall spend level is actually down like 60%. Um, but I, I actually see people enjoying themselves. Like friends are gathering, you know, people are going to restaurants, people are taking shorter trips, you know, people are taking advantage of promotions at the hotels. So I, I actually think people are kind of dying to get back to uh, get back to their normal daily pleasures. Yeah, it certainly does feel like there's some uh, suppressed desire to get back to normal. So one thing that we know uh, about the pandemic is that it drastically changed our, our media behaviors very quickly. Here in the U.S., you know, suddenly every time was prime time, day parts were out the window, um, and we saw a big spike in, in new types of live content, which I think understood that uh, talk show hosts and comedians were working from home as well and shooting things on their phone. Um, and that, I think that was an unexpected and interesting development. Um, what were the media behaviors like in, in APAC? Well, I think there's a um, there's a heightened appetite for news, <laughs> and and I think people's um, people the the cadence with which people seek to consume news has got even faster. Um, I, I think that's changed as the um, the situations develop. The, the the main thing that you can't avoid talking about on this subject would be e-commerce, and um, we're we're presenting something this week that talks about I suppose. We've seen six years of change in e-commerce in probably the last six weeks, and that change is all here to stay. So people that weren't shopping online are now shopping online. People that weren't 
selling online and now selling online and um there's a rush to catch up and accommodate some of that so um i think e-commerce is one of the huge things um a lot less people are out and about so um if your media channel depends on people being out and about that's been a short term um bit of pain but obviously things like out of home posters are going to return to roughly where they were before i think in terms of um audience and and the big thing funnily enough sat down here in australia i don't know if it's the same in the states but seeing the gap left by sport in programming schedules and um conversations between humans and um <laughs> people have been left to their devices and it's been fascinating to see and um, so here in um, australia foxtel are really hurting which is um the, the pay tv network super reliant on sport and i think I hear a lot of talk about e-commerce, but I hear a bit less talk about the gap left by sport and what it says about our changing appetites. We're actually seeing very, very interesting developments. Uh, live stream and short videos really picked up during this period. Uh, people are uh, kind of uh, actually some some of that behavior is transforming some of the platforms in a very, very positive way. Um, there is a, a return to big screens because people actually stay uh, staying home longer. So, uh, you know, Chinese kids, they watch TV shows on their mobile phone a lot. And uh, during the pandemic, they actually kind of just stopped doing it on their phone and then just returned to big screen. Um, I think e-commerce is already super, super developed. So, yes, I mean, there is a pickup. But I think the really transformative part is older people were forced to adopt that behavior. In the past, it wasn't quite the case. Um, there was a lot of gaming. There's a lot of uh, consumption of news during this period. But uh, what we see is once people return to normal, uh, as their time at home uh, and their leisure time decreases, those behavior go away. So I think the biggest uh, winners during this uh, during this period uh, and the, the, the you know, the, the behavior that will really stay is really like uh, consumption of short videos and live streaming. And and I think these behaviors will actually have very, very profound long term impact on uh, how people shop, how people work and, and how people uh, consume uh, entertainment and other forms of content. So thinking about the advertising side of media, um, what should our clients be thinking about? Uh, how should brands be messaging right now? How should they be activating? We're advising clients to see this as a downturn. Sure, there are many, many, many ways in which this is significantly different from anything we've seen previously. But if we can approach it as a downturn, we can start to look at what we know about what works and what doesn't work in other downturns. And there are many decades of um, peer-reviewed papers on that that would say you should maintain your spend. You should focus on the brand and try and avoid getting too attracted to um, knee-jerk reactive activation. And you should consider this in terms of the priming for the recovery that's sure to come. And what's important for clients to think about in terms of ad spend and advertising is when everyone else is cutting, that's a great opportunity to have excess share of voice. And that's actually a great opportunity to make sure you emerge in better shape than anyone else. So I think most of the conversations we're having at the moment are around that. One of the challenges is... Um, our self-interest is apparently quite evident there as an industry. But we need to be really, really clear that this is repeated in study after study after study. And maybe it's better if other people start saying it other than media agencies. <laughs> 
Um, I think in China, we're seeing a bit of a mixed picture. First of all, um, I think there is a lot of agreement, a lot of alignment uh, throughout this uh, pandemic that brands have uh, have been investing in building up assets, in transforming themselves, did really well. And uh, they actually grew during this period, which was astonishing all because they did the right homework before. And you see people kind of just naturally going to the brands that they trust the most. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you, you can't, like, do it in the middle of a crisis. So I, I actually think this period is a great testament to the power of branding. Um, having said that, I also think that there are some unique challenges in China that you know, as agencies, when we approach them about what you should be doing now, we, we need to be kind of sensitive to to their needs. Uh, most of the brands in China, probably like five years old, 10 years old, you know, 20 years old at the most, you know, in the overall scheme of things, you know, when you're in the first 10 years of your lifespan, a brand is just um, beginning and there's no guarantee that you're actually going to survive, survive anything. So, so I think in brands, uh, Chinese brands survival instincts are stronger versus probably some of the brands that we work with in the West. Um, and then the second thing is, I think, um, there's a lot of startup. There's a lot of smaller businesses in China. And that's why we have Taobao. That's why we have Pinduoduo's of the world. Um, and their number one priority in the middle of this pandemic is to survive is to clear up their stock, is to manage the, the excess inventories um, during this pandemic. So right after uh, right after the, the you know restrictions are starting to loosen, um, a lot of the companies, their first priority is to clear up the inventory. Um, and it's it's we and we all understand it's not really a good thing for them to do in the long term. But I think as agencies, we also need to work with them through this period. We really, you know, long, long story short, I think we really need to kind of call out that you need to invest in your brand because it's the best uh, risk mitigator in the long term and it will pay off. But at the same time, be very, very sympathetic to their survival instincts because it's, it's very real in China. Um, so I, I think as long as we balance that conversation when we approach the, the client, um, it, it's, it's actually a good time for them to start listening to agencies about brand building. Here at the lab and at UM, we've been calling the pandemic a, a trend accelerator, and we've been talking about a lot of things. I think that uh, you know we we would have been talking about as coming three or five years down the line, but that they're they're happening today. Um, what? Do you think are the most important trends that uh, have been accelerated in in APAC by the pandemic? Well, the the boring answer, but it's important, is e-commerce in all its forms, um, and that's probably the most widespread trend to talk about. Another, perhaps slightly boring answer, is working from home and some of the discussion around that. Um, I think what I'd like to bring to it is perhaps the suggestion that people are reorienting around their local environment a little more. Their horizons are getting a lot closer in lots and lots of ways, whether that's around their family, whether that's around their neighborhood, whether that's around their community or whether it's around their nation. Um, it's something we're seeing across the board and it's something that's going to have quite profound effects for more global brands. Um, and I'm going to go out on the limb to say that we're seeing the beginning of an end for retail. Um, I think especially with 
uh, 5G being massively deployed, you know, with the behavior shifts, uh, we're going to see a very, very different uh, landscape in China. Um, and uh, um, retailers really need to gear up to set up uh, online offline integration to, to battle that. Um, I, we're seeing the deployment of unmanned uh, services, both at hospitals where uh, the uh, COVID-19 patients were treated. Um, you know, they, they used robots to dispense medicines to the patients, which reduced uh, human contacts. Uh, and we're also seeing uh, you know, Jingdong, JD.com has been experimenting it. Uh, and then robots to uh, deliver products to people's door. Uh, I, I really look forward to see when that's going to come. Um, just because we use a delivery service so much in China, it's such a uh, e-commerce market. Um, end of paper currency, um, because and again, this is something that has been in the works for a long time. You know, the adoption of Bitcoin uh, technology. So I mean, the, the, this paperless, like this digital RMB thing, has been uh, kind of revealed in a very soft way. So I'm kind of looking forward to see when it's going to go into circulation. Um, and then I would say, um, you know, in terms of um, distant education, probably will stick longer than or have greater impacts than working from home. Uh, kids have been educated from uh, home ever since the outbreak. But for kids who are in remote areas in China, uh, it's a it's a transformation because uh, it, it requires uh, adoption or improvement of existing infrastructure. It, 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 but but once that's done, um, a lot of the kids who didn't have good teachers uh, will actually benefit from uh, teachers in you know cities where the education resources are much much better. So I, I think we're going to see greater acceptance for China as a nation to adopt new technology after people have seen how much technology helped throughout this pandemic. Yeah, I think those are, are great points. Anything that, that can happen remotely will happen remotely much sooner than we expected, I think, is a, is a good takeaway. <laughs> um, any, any final thoughts uh, before we wrap things up? I, th- I think I'd um, make one more point around consumer confidence, actually. I think people focus too much on the legislation and they wait for the legislation to be lifted for people to start buying again. Um, I was reading about the situation in Denmark versus Sweden and um, Sweden has had very few restrictions. Denmark has had very many and the consumer confidence levels are very similar across both in the sense it would suggest that it's people's own decisions around the risk they're taking that the bigger variable rather than government steps. And I think there's a very real danger. We'll assume that once the legislation gets lifted, we'll be back to normal. I think that's really important. I think it's going to be really weird for some time longer. And I think there's a very real danger. We'll just assume simplistically that once we lift legislation, people will start purchasing again. I think that's a great point. Uh, I think that it's we're we're still in uncharted territory, even in places uh, where things are starting to return to normal. That uh, it's not the same normal. It's not the th- the same world that we we left uh, a few months ago. And uh, a lot of uh, there's still a lot of moving pieces. And uh, are, are it's not as easy as flipping a switch to just uh, get people 
ball shot in the ways that they used to. No, that's exactly it. So um, Jeremy Rifkin talks about bumpy plateau as a way of describing people's tendency to misinterpret small shifts in the situation as a trend. So we're all looking for green shoots and we see something and we think it's the recovery, but um, it might not be. What is it? The, um, the light at the end of the tunnel could be a train. And I'm worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that analogy, uh, certainly, even if I don't uh, like exactly what it means uh, for us. But <laughs> this has been great. So uh, thank you both so much for uh, joining us here on Floor 9, on our virtual Floor 9. Uh, thank you for I having us. That, I hope that we get to a place where we're able to see each other in person sooner rather than later. Adam, Lynn. Matt, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on Floor 9 uh, and having that conversation. So remember, everybody, this Friday on Twitch from 2 to 3 p. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be talking to the co-founders of Unsplash, the internet source of freely usable images, uh, for this week's office hours with the partnerships team from the IPG Media Lab. So come join us. Check that out. You can join the stream at twitch.tv forward slash IPG underscore lab uh, or watch afterwards on VOD, uh, whatever works for your schedule. Uh, and so that's our show this week. So stay safe, stay healthy, and remember to wash your hands. 